We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? Think what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to it's her ratio. Okay, though. It's her ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. What do you think about Carolyn Bryant, the woman who <laughs> launched all this, being alive and not in prison? And yeah. it, that bothers me. It bothers me, too. It bothers me, too. And, you know, to be frank with you, I mean, we've had discussions amongst us, you know, on the film about whether or not to uh, discuss her or share our opinions on it. But to me, if you're going to do a movie about Emmett Till, if you're going to do a movie about Mamie Till Mobley, you can't pussyfoot around Carolyn Bryant, in my opinion. She was complicit in a kidnapping. She was complicit in murder. There's a crime in there somewhere. And account, account, accountability is, is, is needed for healing, in my opinion. And so I don't care how old she is. I don't care if she's sick. I don't care what's going on with her. She has to be held accountable. The story of Emmett Till is incredibly important and extremely painful. And getting that story right, if you're going to do a movie about Emmett Till, extremely important. There's a new movie out called Till, a biopic about Emmett Till and his life and the life and courage of his mother, Mamie, who wanted the world to know what they did to her son and changed American history. Sean Patrick Thomas plays Till's stepfather, the father figure in his life, the husband of Till's mother. And it was extraordinary to talk to him about Till, which has already created controversy, and about his entire acting career. It's Sean Patrick Thomas on Torre Show. Sean, so you got a big role in Till. And I want to yeah. go back to a couple weeks ago when the trailer was first released. And a lot of Black people, especially on Twitter, were like, no, I'm never going to see this. I don't want to be traumatized. Why are they even making this? Yeah. And I wonder, from somebody who who worked on this piece and is part of it, 
What is your response? What was your response to that immediate backlash from people who hadn't even seen the film? I know, I know, it was crazy. Uh, I mean, my first response is there is no actual physical violence visited upon this child in the movie, like none. Uh, you, it's suggested, obviously, you know what happened. We, we see and hear, you know, certain images or hear, hear certain sounds that let you know what's going on. But there's no actual physical violence being inflicted on him in this film. And that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that the movie's not even really about the, the literal, visceral things that happened to him. It's about what Mamie Till Mobley did after the fact to draw attention to it and, and just get the whole world on notice that this is what's going on and, and to get some justice for her son. So it's really more so a, a story about a mother's devotion to her son. It's a love story between a mother and a son and her refusal to let his death go without, uh, without, without having any meaning. And I appreciate that focus um, because we all talk about Emmett Till and his name rings very loudly in the black community and in American history. Sure. But Mamie is the true hero of this story. That's there right. were other Emmett Tills shortly. That's um, right. And, and, and I respect their, the mother's and father's decision to close the casket. And this is very hurtful. And we need to mourn in private. And I deeply respect Mamie's decision and her courage to say, no, let right. them see. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's really about, uh, what is a shocking and incredibly brave decision that she made, you know, cause there's been debates recently about like stuff that went on in Uvalde and the, the caliber of the bullets that they were using and how they were tearing these bodies apart and, and should people see what that is so that they would be more motivated to act on, on gun control, for example. And so, um, and, and those families chose not to do that. And I totally respect that. And I don't know that I would do any different, but the point is, is that it takes a lot of guts and a huge amount of vision and, 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 um, and heroism to allow your child in, in, their, in their brokenness to be exposed to the entire world. I think Americans in general are coddled and protected from violent images that yes. allow us to have a paralyzed gun conversation, that allow us to be uh, this militaristic global power because we never see like what is the result of right. the drones, of the killing, right. of the shootings. And, and right. I think if we saw those things, we would have an entirely different relationship. Of course, of course. And, and, and ironically, I find that uh, at least the, the American viewing public, uh, they have this weird, weird queasy thing with, with, with sexual images, but violence, that's, that's just fine. That's great. You know, mm. it's kind of like a weird kind of double standard. You know? you know, my friend Keith Beauchamp is a big producer on this. He's the yes. premier Emmett Till uh, scholar, historian in the in the country. Um, I wonder what you learned from him and just him being around and, and the insight that you were able to get into why Mamie made the choices that she did. Well, Keith was just the single biggest help to me in, in what I had to do in this film. Uh, because he, he knew Mamie Till Mobley. He knew the character that I played, Gene Mobley, Mobley. He knew them personally. He spent a lot of time with them. And so he was really like my chief 
resource of like the nuts and bolts and and the and the kind of like the uh you know the unspoken private things that go on between a couple like he knew about those things between those two and so he was a huge help to me we, we talked for hours about how they were together and and how the relationship uh really functioned and and, and how gene really treated M- mamie and so i i could not have done what i did in this in this film without keith and all of the uh the knowledge that he was able to uh to pour into me um yeah. I, no sorry go ahead go ahead no go ahead good ahead. no no continue go ahead well you you play gene mobley Yes. Emmett's stepfather, right? Yes. Surrogate father. Uh, he was engaged to be married to Mamie at the time that he was killed, uh, at, the time, at the time that Emmett was killed. So he was kind of a surrogate father. Like he taught him how to drive and, and took him to baseball games and stuff like that. So he, was, he really was, at the time of Emmett's death, the closest thing Emmett had to a father. So tell us about him, because this story always revolves around Emmett and Mamie, as it should, but you're playing Gene. Right. So who is he and what impact does he have on Emmett and on Mamie? Is he part of the conversation of we should open this casket up? Well, it's hard to say for sure. Uh, I do know, like, as, as we depicted in the film, he's not 100 percent on board at first, you know, uh, I think that uh, it, it takes so much courage and and so much uh, kind of foresight to to make that decision. I don't think Gene at the time had that courage and foresight that that Mamie had. And so, uh, you know, from from reading her from reading Mamie's autobiography, The Death of Innocence, um, you get the sense that she was kind of alone in her family at first in terms of taking on this challenge. Uh, because I, I think her own mother uh, and her own father and Gene, all of them are kind of like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, but the thing about Gene is, I think more so than anybody else, is that as soon as Mamie makes the decision, he's on board. He's 100 percent supportive, 100 percent devoted to Mamie and, and, and whatever she needed from him. It's interesting to see a till film that doesn't give us the violence right, right? And, and and i mean it, it, that's huge part of this i haven't had a chance to see the film yet but i'm interested mm-hmm. in because ha- there's folks who are like i don't want to see that and i respect that but then there's folks who are like how can you tell the story without showing what they actually did to him because this was right. cruel and unusual so how yeah. do we how, how do we how do we balance that well, the thing is, is that you have to take into account the context of the times that we're living in. You know, we've sat here for the last few years and we've watched Ahmaud Arbery get slaughtered. We've watched George Floyd get slaughtered. You know, we know what happened to Trayvon Martin. I think in the last eight, 10, 12 years, we've just been bombarded with it over and over and over and over and over again as black people. And I understand that we've had enough. I get that. I think the whole idea that we don't know what that looks like, um, it, we do know what it looks like because we've been watching it on, on, on all these uh, images that we've been seeing. So I think that it's okay that this film doesn't have to go there because we've been living it already. And, and I think that's the point of the movie is that what happened with Emmett Till in 1955 is still going on. We're seeing it happen in live time. So... We don't have to see it again in the movie because we've been living it. Uh, I know. I appreciate that, that perception, that perspective. 
I think a lot about how almost every black person has 20 to 25 of these sort of images that you're talking about in our mm-hmm. short-term memory that we can call up at any time. I could start naming names and we would just see the images and we cling to that. And I wonder what is it doing to us as a community that we're walking around with all these images of black death mm-hmm. that are like in our heads? Like what, what do you think that's doing to us? I think it's traumatizing us. I think depending on who you are, it could either spur you to action or it could make you apathetic. You know, um, you could feel like, geez, like this thing, this has been going on since black people were brought to these shores. It happened to Emmett Till in 1955. It's happening now. And there's no hope. Uh, there's nothing we can do. I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, but I also think there's an equal amount of other people that are pissed as hell and, and, and refuse to let it continue. And, I, and, and I'm hoping that those of us like me who are pissed as hell uh, can keep carrying this torch. But, but I do think that as, as a black community, um, it's putting us in, in, a, in a weird spot where just we don't feel comfortable, we don't feel safe. I think it's making us more suspicious of the people around us. Like, I feel like, um, you know, the guy that who's the, uh, the parent on your kid's baseball team that you always thought was cool, now you don't know. You know, now you're wondering, guy, like I've, I've been sitting here next to this guy cheering with, cheering with him for years. And now I don't know, like, are you, are you like somebody I can trust? You know, I think that's a very common feeling amongst black people right now, where, where I think maybe earlier we might not have had those doubts or those suspicions or fears. I think one of the other, Mamie is obviously the big hero of the Emmett Till story, but I also think about media and black media in specific is a big hero here that they yes. disseminated these images and that changed the world. Yes. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, the current media can take a note from that, you know, mm-hmm. that there's, there's merit and there's nobility in just showing the unvarnished truth without worrying about how it looks to certain people or, or are they going to think I'm too this or are they going to think I'm too that? Just put the facts out there and let the public decide. And I don't think that happens enough uh, in, in the current media landscape. And so what I thought was uh, powerful about, uh, you know, the black media in the film is that, you know, Jet Magazine uh, ran with that on their, on their cover and they knew what they were doing and they they put it to us to decide, okay, this is what's going on. What are you going to do about it? What do you think about Carolyn Bryant, the woman <laughs> who launched all this, being alive and not in prison? And yeah. it, that bothers me. It bothers me too. It bothers me too. And, you know, to be frank with you, I mean, we've had discussions amongst us, you know, in the film about whether or not to, uh, discuss her or share our opinions on it. But to me, uh, if you're going to do a movie about Emmett Till, if you're going to do a movie about Mamie Till Mobley, you can't pussyfoot around Carolyn Bryant, in my opinion. Um, she was complicit in a kidnapping. She was complicit in murder. There's a crime in there somewhere, you know, and, account, and account, accountability um, 
is, is, is needed for healing, in my opinion. And so I don't care how old she is. I don't care if she's sick. I don't care what's going on with her. She has to be held accountable. I don't know what that's supposed to look like uh, in the eyes of the law. Um, I can't speak to any specific charges, but accountability is a must. And that's not something that I'm shy about uh, calling for. So uh, I want to go back to the beginning of your of your acting career. Your parents are both immigrants from uh, Guyana? Guyana. Guyana. Yeah. So, okay. And I know, I know my, my wife is an immigrant. I know the pressure that immigrant parents put on the kids and you started <laughs> off on the traditional dream of being a lawyer, which yeah. like, this is, this is what we want. And this is yeah. instant respectability and you'll be good. You'll take care of everybody. And we're, we're, we're cemented in the American dream. Right. And then one day he says, Hey, you guys, you know, I actually want to be an actor. <laughs> How did that come? Were they like, we totally understand? Or were they like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, it was not as cut and dried as, as, uh, as that. Um, what happened was I went to uh, college, University of Virginia, and I was totally planning to you know, major in English and, and do law school and all that. But after my first year of college, my father died. And it kind of rewired my brain in a weird way. Like I started like just not being so, I, I, was, I wasn't so uh, focused on, on what I was programmed to do, which is weird. And, and, and around that same time, uh, they were doing a production of Raisin in the Sun at the University of Virginia. And uh, a brilliant, loving man that I consider a father figure, uh, Professor Richard Warner, they needed uh, black actors to round out the cast of Raisin in the Sun. And I just happened to be in the building where they were, uh, where the drama department was. And he asked me to audition for Raisin in the Sun. And I auditioned and I got the part. And this all happened around the time Which my father part? died. Uh, Joseph Asagai. Which I ended up doing later on Broadway many years later. But that's a separate story. And, um, and so right around the time my father died, I got hooked into this acting thing with the Raisin in the Sun. And it just, it literally changed my spirit. And so when I decided to uh, pursue it as a, as a profession, you know, with the, with, with the encouragement of Professor Warner, um, my mom was totally supportive. She didn't give me a hard time at all because I think we all went through this grieving process with my dad. And I think she understood, hey, just we're not here for long. You know, my dad died when he was 42. So oh, wow. uh, I, I think she understood, hey, just go for it, go for it, son. And we'll see what happens. And, and so I think that the way the timing worked out, I think that's how that kind of evolved. Because sometimes, you know, folks don't understand those of us who want to go into artsy fields and like, yeah. how are you going to make money? <laughs> like, I yeah. love this idea, but how do you get paid? Yeah. Um, but she clearly recognized that you needed this. I mean, it sounds yeah. like your father's passing led to a sense of perhaps like carpe diem where you're sure. like, I, I gotta, I gotta live my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, and, but I, but also, you know, I felt like this sense of, okay, this is what I'm expected to do. And this is the, this is the plan. And so when he was gone, I thought, oh, well, can the plan change? I don't know. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so that combined with a sense of, like you said, carpe diem, 
it all kind of went to this weird mix of me doing this, this crazy uh, line of work. Mm, mm. So tell me what it is that you love about acting. What do I love about acting? I love the high wire act. I love that you can be up on stage in front of hundreds of people and fuck up. And how are you going to recover? How are you going to keep it going? How are you going to maintain that sense of, uh, uh, of, uh, just maybe ma- let, let, let keeping the audience not knowing that, that you fucked up in, in, a, mm. in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like just maintain that sense of disbelief with the audience. I, I just enjoy the thrill of being out in front of them and, 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 and playing scenes as believably as I can and recreating a, a, a dramatic moment as, as believably as I can and, and, and holding your attention. And, and, and the high wire act of this could go wrong at any second, but it's a thrill to try, you know? That high wire act is really more for theater though, right? Yes. It's not really- Yes, it is. It is. But I consider myself a theater actor. That's, you know, I, that's how I was trained. That's how I uh, got into the game. That's what feels most natural to me. And so that's, that is where it began. But and, you know, if you're talking about transitioning from that into- uh, television or film, I think another thing that motivates me tremendously is showing different types of, of black people, different types of black men in particular. Um, I'm very invested in exploding, uh, stereotypes and, you know, pushing back against the idea that there's one type of black person. Uh, you know, we're not all comic relief. We're not all threatening, you know, menacing people. Uh, There's a broad range of us. And when it comes to uh, how we're represented in in a mass sense, which would be TV and film, um, I'm very heavily passionate about showing us in all our complexity and all of our colors. And that's, that's what really excites me at this point in my career. So wait, can you take me back to uh, an onstage fuck up an example of what you're talking about and how you covered it up so that, you know, nobody really knew what was going on. Right. Gosh, it's happened so many times. I remember I was doing Shakespeare in the park in New York. I was doing a play called Timon of Athens and I was playing this character who was serving plates and cups on this long, uh, banquet table. And, uh, one night, um, and I was supposed to do it in kind of an, an aggressive way to kind of like, I was, I was like this, you know, servant type person, but I was putting the cups down real hard. Like I'm doing this job, but I'm pissed, you know? And so I put the cup down and it shattered in pieces on stage, you know, in front of everybody. And that's what I love because that's like a happy accident. Okay. Like, what do you do? You know? And so I just went about to pick up every single piece of that cup, no matter where it was on the stage in very kind of like a deliberate dramatic way. And, um, that's the type of thing where you never would have predicted that would happen, but you're able to use that as kind of like a, a, a tool to even go even farther with what your character is trying to, uh, communicate in that moment with, with just the simple act of setting the table. But then when something, the happy accident happens, all the other actors have to respond yeah. and understand. So how is he going to respond to this 
this unforeseen element. And then I have to respond to his response. Right, and- right, right. But that's what's fun about it. And if you're with a bunch of good actors, they eat that shit up. You know, they're like, oh, okay. How, how, how are we going to play this off? You know, how are we going to make this real? How are we going to make this live? And so I, I love that. Whether it's me or somebody else, I love when there's the, the quote unquote happy accident and, uh, and you just roll with it, you know, whether that's in film or on stage. Do you really, do you get those really in film and television? Like I know in theater that, that happens, but film and television seems a little bit more conscripted. Not always, you know, sometimes you work with directors and with other actors who just like, will throw you a curveball, and then you got to just roll with it. And if the director is smart, they'll keep the camera rolling and, and, and see where, and see where it takes you. So I've been in situations like that where, you know, you're working with somebody and they say something that's not exactly what was on the script. And you're like, oh, okay. All right. We're, we're, we're going to do this. All right, let's go. And then you just see where it goes. That I love that whole stuff. Yeah. So I remember watching you ascend, right? In the late 90s, you had several smaller but memorable roles. And then you become a leading man with Save the Last Dance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you become a leading man, there's a lot of money and a lot of time that's invested in you. So to get that first chance at doing that is a big deal. So how do you, how did you convince the people around you, the producers and the, the agents and the world around you that you were ready for that level of responsibility and the audience would respond to you? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first part of that was convincing my, myself of that, <laughs> you know, um, I never thought of myself that way uh, at that time. Um, I just thought I'm an actor and this is the, what's on the page and I'm going to play what's on the page. And, and, and I, I didn't think of myself as a leading man per se, you know? Um, but when, when, when say the last dance happened, um, it was, it wasn't a big deal in terms of me feeling like I had to convince anybody of anything, you know, uh, you just do the job to the best of your ability and, and you refuse to, uh, allow anybody to to dent the, the, the belief you have in yourself. So it, I think it's much more that, like much more just like uh, being grounded in, 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 in the work and, and who I am as a person and not really worrying about trying to convince anybody of anything. Um, talk to me about how you build a character. When you get the script, what do you do to bring it from words to reality? Uh, it all depends on the project, you know? Um, Like if you're doing something like Reasonable Doubt, for example, um, you just kind of think about, okay, uh, where am I and Braden Miller, my character, where are we we similar uh, and where are we different? And and how can I merge some Sean into into what's on the page here with Braden and how I merge these two things and make this a, a believable person, you know? And then other times it's, it's very technical. Sometimes like if you're doing Shakespeare, um, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at the, the images that are, that are in the language and the, and the, the meter of, of how it's written. And, uh, and, you, and you use that to kind of help you find your way through. So it all depends on, on, on the project and on the, on the, on the role. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I can't say that I have any one way of approaching anything. Um, sometimes your imagination just takes over and, and you let that, go through you. you, you kind of get out of your own way, really. And if I was going to say anything uh, that's consistent about 
my approach to the work is to try my best to get out of my own way and get out of my own head. What does that mean? What it means is you don't let your own personal biases or fears or insecurities uh, stop your imagination from going wherever it needs to go to find the truth of the scene. Really. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. I think some actors, I feel like, are chameleons who mm-hmm. can morph into anything. And then some people are pretty much doing themselves over and over, but it's so compelling that you are you are gripped. Right. Which do you think you are? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. Um, would I consider myself a chameleon? I don't know that I would say that, but I will say 
that, um, you know, just recently, uh, you know, I've, I've been watching Till because we've had premiere events for, for Till. And then I would watch myself doing a Reasonable Doubt. And those two characters could not be any more different than they are. And, and so I know I'm not the type of person or type of actor who just imposes my whole personality on, on everything that I do. I'm not, I'm not that guy. So um, I don't think that I'm that person who's always the same, but I'm so compelling that I can grip, grip you with just the Sean-ness of being Sean. Like, that's not what I do. <laughs> but, um, but I was, I was kind of surprised watching Till and then watching Reasonable Doubt, how different these guys were. And, and, and I, it did feel sort of, uh, more so like I was channeling different energies as opposed to being a chameleon, if that makes any sense. Channeling different energies. So in a way you are getting at being entirely different people. Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I think that it's, it's, it's kind of intangible, you know, like I, I think that the, the, what, what Gene Mobley puts out into the world and what he wants to do for the people around him is so different than what uh, Braden Miller wants to do in Reasonable Doubt that I, I think their intentions make them completely different characters without me having to like superimpose some kind of fake, uh, you know, character difference on them in any literal way. You know, you just, you just think about more so like, who is this guy and, and what does he want to do in this situation and how does he handle it? And they handle him, they handle it in different ways. And when you do that, that manifests what could conceivably come off as a chameleon thing. But to me, it's really not. We talked a little bit about building a character, but Braden Miller is an entirely fictional person, right? So when you're building right. Gene Mobley, you're trying to stay uh, in fidelity with the real person and the history yes. and you're yes. honoring the, the family and the real person with Braden. It's like, okay, like you can do what you want to do. So talk about how you go about building a character when it's like, you know, you have room to really imagine and grow, uh, this person. That's true. That's true. I mean, what I love about, uh, building a character like Braden, if that's the way you want to phrase building a character, um, you find ways to, what I enjoyed about it was that I didn't feel any pressure whatsoever to be relatable. I didn't feel any pressure whatsoever to be liked or sympathetic or anything like that. And, and, and I think that there's something about that that's incredibly freeing and exciting and, and real. There are, there are some brothers out there that really are like that. They, they just don't give a damn, you know? And there's something about that that is just a lot of fun to just dip, dip your toe into and, and, and play with. And so I think that's where I was coming from with it. Um, just a sense of me, Sean, personally, I have, I think, a lot of rules about how you treat people and how you treat people with respect and, and how you deal with certain situations and, and the right and the wrong way to do things. And to be able to throw all of that out the window with this, with this character is kind of uh, where, I, where I started. And then you just kind of roll with it from there. But through all that, you still have to have some empathy for him. Yes. Yes. And then 
that's where the, the brilliance of the writing comes in because you get a sense as, as the show goes on, uh, some of his backstory and some of the reasons why he is the way that he is, you know? And there, there are times when you see vulnerability from him and it's genuine and, and it's deep seated from, from trauma that he experienced. And then other times you see vulnerability from him and it's, and it's a manipulation. And that's what I love about the character is that, you know, okay, this guy really is showing his heart right now, but is it a game or is he really unpacking his heart with words, you know, as, as, as Hamlet would say. Talk a little bit about the process of acting for television versus the movies. It's a different, it's a different thing, right? Not to me. It's not so much different. Um, to me, the biggest difference is that um, in television, you're on a tighter schedule. So there's not as much time to uh, rehearse and experiment and try this and try that. You know, you have, you're on a very constricted schedule. And so that's really, to me, the only difference. Because in film, you have a little bit more time to play. You have a little bit more time to experiment. Maybe try this. Maybe try that. Uh, and... Uh, there tends to be more rehearsal, you know, with film. If, if, if that's something that the cast and the director are interested in, there's usually more time for that uh, on a film. But to me, that's really the only difference. Um, in TV, you have to come more uh, to the game with some ideas of your own and be able to just like toss them out there quick because the clock is ticking, you know? And on movies, this is a little bit more of an organic sense of let's build this thing, let's figure it out. And just for me, uh, that's the main difference. One of the actors who came on this show talked about when you're in, when you're acting for a movie, you want to be a little less expressive because if you do some big thing with your mm. face or your body, it looks crazy because the screen oh, is screen, so large. Right. 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 So you're, so the, so movie acting, she said, is a little more subtle. That's in true. television, you can be a little bit bigger and broader because you're communicating through a smaller screen. That's true. That's true. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't discount that. I just don't think about it. Um, that's part of what I mean by getting out of your own way. Like if I was on set on a movie thinking about, okay, let me, you know, uh, tone down my expressions so that it won't look so big on a big screen. Like I, that's thinking too much. That's not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I mean by getting out of your own way. Like I, I don't want to be thinking about stuff like that. But, but I have done projects where like, um, you know, I'm playing the scene as honestly as I can in a way that I think is authentic and organic. And then you see it later on and they put all this, you know, goofy romantic comedy music on top of it. And you're like, damn, like if I'd known that they were going to put all this goofy music over my dialogue, I would have talked louder, you know, but you know, you know what I mean? Um, that has happened to me. I thought, wow, I'm having an intimate one-on-one communication with this other uh, actor and this other character and, and, and it feels grounded. And then the movie comes out and just the music just drowns it out, you know? So I, I have experienced that. I do feel like you are honest as an actor. I believe you, I get lost in the sense of the character you're trying to present to me, right? I don't mm. get sort of like, oh, that's Sean Patrick Thomas. I'm like, <laughs> he's, he's that, he's in that. 
But how do you create that? And I'm, I've seen actors like create that, like in, in, you know, just, Hey, let me see you do your character. And they sort of seem to snap and that the room changes. And you're like, Oh my God, like the character is here. Like she, he is not here anymore. Like right, how, right. how does one create that, that believability? Um, I think that I can only speak for myself. I mean, you only, you create kind of like a, a kind of like a, a, a calm about yourself, a groundedness about yourself. And, 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 you, and you just release your imagination uh, as best you can and hope that the audience is with you and hope that the camera picks it up. And what does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. For me, the, 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 the more detailed my imagination is and the more alive it is and the more colorful it is, I think that's what grabs people, people, people's attention. And I think that's what draws people in, as opposed to trying some technical trick of trying to like snap into a character or, or anything like that. You know, just believe deeply and, and daydream deeply into whatever it is the situation is and trust that the people are going to be with you. Are there roles that you won't do because yes. you say, like, Hey, maybe this will make black people look bad. I don't want to be part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's a certain genre of, uh, black entertainment that I would say that I would never do. Um, there are certain things that, that, you know, that white, uh, writers or directors or producers might, put out there that, that to me reinforces a stereotype and I refuse to do it. Um, sometimes on the page, it looks like a stereotype, but I see an opportunity to maybe flip it, which is cool. And I've done that. But um, generally speaking, anything that reinforces stereotypes about who and what we are I, I will almost always say no to that. So wait, what are the genres that you're talking about that you're like, I don't want to be part of that? Um, again, I would say genres that 
traffic in exaggerated black stereotypes. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to be all political and stuff. I don't want to insult people, but there's stuff I don't want to do where they're trafficking. Yeah, I don't traffic in that shit. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not the one. Yeah. <laughs> what, who, what's the best advice you ever got about acting that um, perhaps some older actor or whatever told you and it really lit up the light bulb? Good question. Um, gosh, a couple of different people. Um, I was, and this is, you know, well into my career. Um, I was doing Raising the Sun on, on Broadway and um, Denzel Washington was in the cast. He was playing Walter Lee, the lead. And, um, I was doing this scene that, you know, it was a very passionate scene. This guy, he's, you know, he's trying to get, uh, the person he's talking to, to, to snap out of it and, you know, and, and, and realize that there's more to life and, you know, you know get your act together type of speech, you know? And, um, and I guess I was doing it in a way that was too, uh, didactic and, and, and too aggressive. And there was one night after I did the scene, uh, Denzel came over to me, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Hey man, remember the love. I was like, Oh, Oh, you know? And that kind of blew up my, my sense of, 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 of my approach to playing that scene, you know? And, and so, and that's something that's always stuck with me. Uh, what did that told me mean? That Remember night. the love? Remember the love. Yeah. What did, what did that mean? Well, in the scene, you know, Asagai was, uh, my character, Asagai was um, trying to convince this character, Benita, to like, you have a life that you can live, you know? She, 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 she had a, some, she got some bad news and, and she decided to give up on life and give up on her dreams. And he's basically telling her, no, like, you cannot give up on your dreams. Like I came from this crappy place where like I had every reason to give up and I didn't, you know, and, and you can't give up either, you know? And so he, he, it was, he's trying to inspire her and he's trying to get her up off the mat. And, and, and I think that the way I was doing it, or at least the way it sounded at the time to him, it, it, there wasn't enough love underneath all of that, you know? And so, you know, and Denzel just explained to me, he didn't even explain it. He just said that one line, hey, man, remember the love. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And, uh, and that was a big thing. And another thing is that I remember when, we were in, when I was in grad school at NYU, and I was playing uh, a just short scene study, uh, Valmont in uh, Dangerous Liaisons. And, you know, that's the John Malkovich character. And he's very, very, you know, sexual and very kind of, you know, uh, just magnetizing and mesmerizing and all that type of character. And I was doing it. And the teacher was like, stop, 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 stop. He was like, Sean, do you think that you're sexy? And I was like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've never even thought about that. And he's like, well, Sean, pretend you're sexy. Now get back up there. You know, now, again, I don't know what that means. Pretend you're sexy. Mm -hmm. But what, but what he was saying was, and that's the, and the way I took it was get out of your own way and be this dude is the way I took it. You know, don't think 
oh, well, I'm Sean and I'm just this regular guy from Delaware. I can't be sexy. Throw that shit out the window. Play this guy, you know? And so that, that was another very simple uh, kind of thing that a, a teacher tossed in my ear that I think just changed me. And, 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 I, and I, ever since then, it's been a big thing for me to just get out of my own way. Mm, mm. I think that's important in anything that you do. I wonder what else you learned just watching Denzel, because just doing a, doing a, a play with him has got to be an extraordinary uh, experience. Oh, it was just, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's the greatest. Uh, the biggest thing that I got from him, which I just love, is the man works hard. His work ethic is unparalleled. Comes in before anybody else doing his, his warm-ups and, and pacing the stage and thinking things through and, uh, and, 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 and just getting himself ready to perform. Um, his work ethic is, is, is astonishing. Like we would be, you know, two, three months into the run of that play and I could still, still see him scribbling notes into his uh, script. And I'm thinking like, we've been doing this for eight shows a week for, you know, eight weeks and you're still scribbling notes and you're still finding things and you're still figuring things out and you're still refining things and you're still trying to make it uh, alive and, and, and fresh. And I could tell that he never, ever, ever stopped working. That's probably the biggest thing that I got from being around him and from watching him is that his, his, he, he's never content with what he did yesterday. Like he's always trying to just take it up another notch. I mean, that humility is extraordinary, yeah. right? Let, like, you know, all the, all the lauds and awards and everyone talks about him. Yeah. And he's still. The bottom like, line is that the man bit. works hard. That's the bottom line. He does the work. And, and that's then, a that huge, mean, huge example. Excuse and by me? that you mean thinking about the character, like wh what does that mean to you? In terms of what, doing the work? Well, you doing the work, working hard, like to me, not having been an actor, I'm like, you learn the lines, you figure out the character, like what else is there? And you're like, no, 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 there's, there's like, like what is working, like Denzel working hard, what does that mean? Well, I mean, I don't know what he was scribbling down in that book. I don't know. But to me, um, what, but what I did, what I did get the sense of was that he was searching, you know, because no, no matter how well you know your lines and no matter how many times you've done it, there's always more. There's always something else there, you know, like that's kind of what he told me that night backstage. Like, okay, you're doing the scene and it's fine, but there's something else there. Remember the love, you know? And so my guess is, is that in whatever scene he was looking at or whatever he was looking at on the page, he was still digging, trying to find an extra nuance or an extra bit of layering to put into the scene, uh, as good as it may already have been. He was looking for more uh, texture, more nuance would be my guess. But I, I don't know. But all, what I do know is that he was always scribbling, always working. What's the difference between a good actor and a great actor? <laughs> um, wow. I think a great actor is able to check their ego, check their, their vanity. Uh, I think that when you are uh, up in front of people or when you're on a screen, um, 
I think it's kind of like the, the human instinct to kind of be like, well, shit, I, how, how do I look? Um, how, how am I coming off? Um, you know, do, do I, you know, what, what do people see? How, how are they judging me? You know? And I think great actors don't have any of that. They don't have that type of vanity to keep them from telling the truth in, 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 in the scene that they're playing and in the story that they're trying to tell. That's my definition of it. And that's what I strive for as best I can is, is, is to have a complete lack of uh, self-awareness and vanity. I ask everybody who comes on the show to talk about what it means to them to be black and mm -hmm. to be a black actor. Uh, you are tapping into a really important legacy of yes. people who have helped change and improve the, the, the visualization of us. So it's, it's an important uh, role in society. So what, it, what does it mean to you to be black and how does it impact your work? When I think about what you just asked me, I think about Sidney Poitier, obviously. Mm. Uh, he gave to me generations of black men permission to think of themselves as men and not as uh, somebody, not, not, not as people who are, who are defined by, by what other people will let us do or not let us do. He's like, I am a man. I'm here on this earth just like you. And uh, and I dictate who I am and what I am. That, to me, that's what Sidney Poitier is. Now, when I think about myself, um, I just feel like I'm just uh, riding that wave of refusing to let the world decide who or what a Black man is. I feel like through my work, that's something that I, I, I think about and something that I care about and it's something that's a priority to me. That... I refuse to let any writer, storyteller dictate to me what it is to be a black man, because I think that's part of the problem in this country is a very narrow view of who and what we are. And, 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 and I think that dehumanizes us. It makes it easier for people to treat us like we're less than human. And that leads to things from as vile as, you know, physical violence and death all the way down to whether or not you can get a, a loan for your house. You know, we're yeah. treated as something less than human. And so whatever I can do to push back against that uh, in my life and in my work is definitely what I'm about. Last thing, your superpower, what is it that you do better than other people that has led to your success? <laughs> what do I do better than other people that's led to my success? Um, Gosh, I think that, uh, I think I have thick skin. I think I have very, very, very thick skin. It's extremely difficult to make me feel bad about myself. And what I have noticed is that a lot of people have trouble with that. A lot of people, uh, hear something bad about themselves or they, they read the comments and, and on some social media page or, or whatever it is. And like, it can fuck up their day. It can fuck up their week. It can really just like destroy them and make them feel like, Oh gosh, like I'm this horrible person or, or, or I'm, I'm so, you know, uh, unworthy or, or whatever it is that does to people, 
You know, like some people are like, oh gosh, I had to quit Twitter or, oh, I had to quit Instagram because I, I couldn't handle the, what people were saying. Like, like whatever that is, like, I, I just don't have that. I just don't. And, and I'm so grateful that I don't. Um, I really genuinely don't care. And if that's a superpower, that's mine. That's uh, a, a great superpower because it's hard <laughs> to do. I know. I guess, I guess it is. Yeah. Especially for a performer. I think about, you know, giving a speech or whatever. And like, you know, like everybody's all like, oh, this is great. And they're into it. And there's like one person who's like, not feeling this. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and you remember like, the one person, right? Yes. yes. What can I do? Like right. talk to you to bring you back in to make you happy. Oh my God. Oh. Right. Right. Like my thing is, look, I tried my best. I worked my hardest. I'm here. What else can I say? What, 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 there's nothing else that, that, that I got to offer. And if that's not good enough for you, go about your business. I'll go about mine. That's, that's how I feel. As long as I tried my best. That's our show. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Ford. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.